Well, what would you say is the most important question to answer in life? Do you think it's a question of identity? Like, who am I? Or is it perhaps a question about your eternal destination? Where am I going after this life ends? Or is it a kind of an existential question like, what is the purpose of my life? These chapters that we're looking at in Matthew's Gospel today um, revolve around some very big questions, questions of identity, questions of purpose. But they're really questions about Jesus before they're questions about us. See, the Bible tells us that to know and answer the truly important questions in life, we need to first answer these questions as they relate to Jesus. Only then can we know the answers for ourselves. And so this morning we're going to be asking questions, as the passage presents them to us, questions about who Jesus is, uh, what he's come to do, and then think about what that means for us. Now, so far in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is caught up in a bit of an identity crisis. Not that he's confused about who he is, it's everyone else who seems to be struggling to grasp it. And we can see this when Jesus puts this question to his disciples there in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 16 about who people think he is. Uh, this is where our reading began. And there seems to be no shortage of strange suggestions that are out there amongst the crowds. In verse 14 we read, uh, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. There's no shortage of opinions, but confusion reigns. The people seem to be looking for some Old Testament figure to return, someone who might be a sign that God's promised Messiah was coming, or perhaps another prophet uh, who would indicate that God was about to act in some way. Now, they're kind of on the right track. They're sort of warm, but they're also a long way off. And so Jesus asks his disciples directly. He says, so what about you? Who do you say I am? Peter is the first to pipe up, as usual, uh, and Peter's answer is red hot. He says there in verse 16, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And there it is. It doesn't get much clearer than that. Peter's declaration comes like an oasis in a desert of confusion and opposition to Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah, the, the Christ, the promised saviour and king of God's people, the one who would rescue them. But even more than that, says Peter, I recognise that you're far more than the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And indeed he is. Jesus is much more than another prophet of God, another Elijah or Jeremiah figure. He is God's own son. These chapters revolve around these questions about the identity of Jesus, who he is. And they're shaped in particular around the two statements that we find about who Jesus is. And the first we've just read, it was on the lips of Peter. But the second comes from God himself. And we saw that in our video for the kids earlier. When we get into chapter 17 of Matthew's Gospel, we find an account of what's called the Transfiguration. 
Jesus, we're told, takes his closest disciples with him up to a mountain. And we're told that while he's there, his appearance changes. His face begins to shine. His clothes become dazzlingly white. And then Moses and Elijah turn up and start talking to Jesus. And while all this is going on, a bright cloud appears and a voice comes from it and says, This is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. God speaks from the cloud and declares who Jesus is. Once again, he is his son, his son that he loves, the one he is pleased with, the one that God commands us to listen to. If you're curious about who Jesus is, the Bible is not unclear about that. This is not a puzzle to solve. Jesus is God's son and our saviour. If Jesus put you on the spot and asked the question of you that he put to Peter and the other disciples that day, who do you say I am? What will your answer be? Have you figured out who Jesus is? Do you believe what the Bible declares about him? And if that's a question you feel you have resolved, has it translated into the life that you live? Now, Peter has just given Jesus a magnificent answer, but it's not long before he finds himself in a muddle again because it seems he's very confused about what Jesus has actually come to do. So pick up the account, go back to chapter 16 and pick it up there from verse 21. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus here for the first time reveals more of uh, the plan, what his mission will be, that he's going to Jerusalem and there he will be killed. Now, when Peter hears this, he's not having it. He decides he's got to set Jesus straight. And so he takes Jesus aside and he rebukes him. No, he says, this is not going to happen. If Peter got a gold star for his earlier answer... Uh, it quickly becomes tarnished because Jesus responds to Peter with a rebuke of his own. Look at that there. It says, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Feels like things are starting to unravel a bit here, Um, especially when Jesus calls Peter Satan. So what's going on? Well, this little exchange always reminds me of something that occurred at the start of Jesus' ministry, that occasion where Satan comes and tempts Jesus out in the wilderness. Three times Satan offers Jesus the kingdom by another path. He offers him an easy out. In fact, Satan even says at one point, just worship me and I'll give it to you, I'll hand the kingdom to you. And so when Peter takes Jesus aside and tries to talk him out of the very thing 
that he has come to do, the very thing his father has sent him to do. Jesus hears, I think, that same temptation in Peter's words. A temptation that he's no doubt struggling with. That offer to go another way. To avoid the cross. To establish his kingdom perhaps by an easier path. Jesus knows that's the last thing he needs to hear at this point. I think it gives us some insight into the struggle Jesus went through as he approached Jerusalem, as he went to the cross. It was not an easy thing for him. The temptation to walk away, to find an easier option. It must have felt overwhelming at times. And so Jesus gives Peter a harsh rebuke here because what he's encouraging Jesus to do, or, or rather not to do, shows that he doesn't really have God's plan in mind. Peter, like most of the disciples, I'm sure, had his own assumptions about what the Messiah should be and had come to do. He'd come to conquer. He'd come to restore Israel to its former glory. And what Jesus is talking about does not fit in with that picture. But Jesus knows why he's come. He knows what he must do. That his journey ends in Jerusalem, the city of the king. There he's going to establish his kingdom. But not through an elaborate coronation ceremony or a great military victory, as Peter and no doubt others imagined it. No, he's going there to give his life. And Jesus will talk openly about that from this point on in his ministry. Uh, twice more in the next chapter, in chapter 17, uh, you see it in verses 12 and verse 23, Jesus openly references his coming death. He knows this is what he has to do, to deal with sin, to save sinful people like Peter and me and you. Now, for Jesus, he doesn't see this as some sort of defeat, quite the opposite. Jesus sees it as a great victory, a glorious event. Three times Jesus here mentions his death, but each time he also mentions what will follow, his victory over death through his resurrection. Jesus knows he will die, but three days later he will rise again. This is the nature of the kingdom Jesus has come to establish, where death itself will be defeated. Jesus declares that nothing will stop it and nothing will overcome it. Yes, the cross is coming, but it won't end there. Sunday is coming too. Jesus will rise, he'll conquer death, and he'll establish a kingdom that will march on and defeat death in the lives of his followers as well. And of course, one day, and Jesus talks about this here too, one day he will return in all of his unveiled glory that in chapter 17, the transfiguration provides just a glimpse of. And on that day, every knee will bow. But Jesus wants Peter and his disciples to not only understand his mission, he wants them to understand and appreciate what this means for them as well. If they're going to be his followers, um, what does that look like? Jesus says, He's going to a cross, but that those who follow him 
will have a cross to carry too. So back in chapter 16, have a look at this challenge from verse 24. Jesus says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Jesus here describes what living for him will look like. And it's going to mean denying yourself, picking up a cross to follow him. Jesus doesn't hide the fact that living for him will come at a cost. In fact, Jesus puts a price on it. He says, that cost is your very life. See verse 25? Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. But what does that mean? Well, I'm sure the image that Jesus gives them of carrying a cross wasn't lost on the disciples. If you lived 2,000 years ago in Israel and you saw someone dragging a cross, it was obvious what that meant. That was a person marked for death, headed for a Roman crucifixion. And that's the image Jesus uses to describe the path for his disciples. He says, when you start living for me, you stop living for yourself. In a sense, when we decide to live for God, there is a kind of death that we die, a death to ourselves, a death to our old lives. And a new life begins, living for him. And I think that's what that language of denying yourself is really all about. Jesus is not saying that we need to somehow martyr ourselves trying to take the gospel to the furthest corners of the earth although some of his disciples have been called to do that very thing. But he does demand that each one of us hands our lives over to God. That it is no longer yours to do with as you see fit, because he is your Lord. And if you don't like the sound of that, then perhaps you haven't understood what Jesus demands of you as one of his followers. Jesus lays out the alternative too. He says, you can hang on to your life. He says, in doing that, there is no hope for you. You can even gain the whole world, says Jesus, but it will cost you your very soul. Not a good transaction as far as Jesus is concerned. Jesus says, refusing him will ultimately result in death. And that's what happens when you cut yourself off from the very source of life. But to lose your life for him, that's where you find true living. To hand your life over to Jesus, to die to yourself, to your own pleasures, to die to your own priorities, your own autonomy even. To take him on as Lord, to live with him as Lord. That's where you find true life the life that we were all created to have, a life that's in step with our creator. So what does that look like for, and I use this term 
carefully, normal people like us. As I said, sure, some of us may be called to, to go to a distant land and bring the gospel to those that have never heard it before, leaving behind our culture, our family, our language. And for, for some of us, I think it's easy to relate to that, to think of that as kind of proper, cross-carrying, self-denying Christian living. But what if you're just living in Balmain, working or retired, raising your family, going to school? Can we do that? Or what does that look like? Well, I think we can, because Jesus calls us all to live for him in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. It should make a difference to the decisions we make every day. Our life should be different because we follow Jesus. If you're someone who now listens to Jesus when it comes to the way that you think and act, the way you seek to treat other people, it ought to shape every aspect of your life. It'll look like dealing with other people with kindness, with generosity, with grace, with forgiveness, with love. It'll look like making time for someone in need, even when that's inconvenient for you. It'll look like you saying no to anger and, and to gossip about other people being quick to weed out pride in your heart, saying no to those things that are clearly selfish, saying no to trying to manipulate other people or to get them back for what they did to you. It looks like using your gifts and your labour and your resources, not selfishly, but in order to serve others, in order to do good. And it looks like you're doing all of that out of love for Jesus in order to honour him, to please him. Jesus promises that we never lose out with him. You will find life with him. You share in his victory, his victory at the cross and his victory through the resurrection. Ultimately, there is still a life to come when Jesus returns and says he will make all things new. So deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow him. Because whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for him will find it. We're going to respond in prayer and Ros is going to lead us in that. Please join me in prayer. Gracious Lord and Heavenly King, thank you that you came to earth and gave your life on the cross as our sin substitute, so that whoever believes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved and have eternal life. Help us not to live for ourselves, but rather to live for you. Help us to take up our cross and 
and to live a life that seeks your will and is a testimony to the truth that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen.